There we go. Channeling is in a fanny craddock. Make sure the top pasta sheet overhangs a little, yet still gets sauce and cheese. Oh, it's crispy magic. I do work in a cafe, Brian. It's just a sympathy lasagna for a grieving widow. It's not a cookery competition. Right, sorry. Everything poor Toya's been through. I mean, I know she was a bit dodgy with the Alfie thing, but being in a horrible accident and then getting arrested for causing it. It beggars belief. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 209 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that has calculated that approximately 83% of this week's scenes were people who should be Billy not being Billy and explaining why Billy wasn't there. I'm Gavin. Or Billy. And I don't even think running up that hill is Kate Bush's best song. It's, it's the best of her more recent output, I think. It, it's her most mainstream song, I think. Oh, I don't think it's mainstream at all. Well, compared to Kate Bush's other music... Yeah, I would say that more people like uh, Wuthering Heights and well, yeah, Babushka and stuff. Yeah, they like it, but Wuthering Heights is not like a mainstream pop song. Like I don't think Running Up the Hill is either. It's, it's more than Wuthering Heights is. <laughs> yeah, because Wuthering sure, Heights, she sure does kind of the the weirder voice that she does sometimes. That's the younger voice. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, why are we talking about this? Oh, because apparently Gen Z is discovering Kate Bush thanks to Stranger Things using Running Up That Hill. Oh. I always enjoyed the placebo version of that song. Yeah, <sighs> yeah apparently that that's is, how... I enjoyed the placebo version of that song. Apparently that's how us Gen Xers discovered Kate Bush, although I don't think that's no, true that's either. That's not true either. I, I knew the song the first time it came out. It was the theme tune to a kids TV show when I was growing up. In the UK. Yeah. Oh, I don't know, actually. I can't remember the name of the show. Now, if only there was a way we could find out. Stall for time, Helen. If only there was a way. If only there was a way. I'm also going camping tomorrow. First, first camping trip of the oh, year. Oh, that kind of probably, yeah. probably the last camping trip of the year as well, because you don't camp. You're camp enough. Ho, ho. That's right. <laughs> In your pastel blue and pink shirt. I'm I'm quite uh, metrosexual at the moment. Yes, I love that shirt I do though. It looks nice, it's especially nice when you push it up on your forearms like that. It's so hot. Running scared is the name of the show. It was a six-part British television children's drama series produced by the BBC in 1986. Wow, that's what introduced me to that song. I was ten, and I don't think that jumped the pond to us. Running scared. No, that's the only thing I remember about it. Yeah. Anyway, Kate Bush. She's more than just that one song. Yeah, she's like six or seven songs. <laughs> How have you been this week? Well, it started off traumatic, but then it got good yesterday. Because yesterday you and I went to Elderly Instruments in beautiful Old Town, Lansing, Michigan. Guitar shopping. Well, well yeah, I was going guitar shopping. You were going guitar shopping. I was thinking of maybe taking up the ukulele. As you do. As one does. Yes. Because there are actually 
for whatever reason, there are a lot of like ukulele groups that do lessons near us. Mm -hmm. So, and also my fingers are very short. I used to play guitar and it was always very difficult for me to do the chords because my fingers are so toty, you know, even as a, even as a child. So, well, especially as a child, I guess one would say. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't, haven't shrunk since you were born. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, you know, while you were sizing up the acoustics, mm -hmm. I wandered over to the the ukulele slash mandolin side of the shop. A, a side of the shop that I have never been to in the half dozen times that I've been to that store. Yes. So it starts with the ukuleles and I was looking at the ukuleles and I picked a few up and I was strumming on a few of them and nothing really felt right, mm. you know? It's got to feel right. Right. It's got to feel right. So, uh, you know, and then I wandered through the mandolins and then there was another room and there was, there was this gorgeous Celtic harp there. There were some auto harps. There were the uh, slide guitars steel guitars yeah steel pedal guitars yes where you know where it's on like a little table and you just put the slide on and there's a guy who plays that at my mother's church in connecticut and we always that's like our favorite thing about the church services when the slide guitar guy it's good on that guitar it's good you know and some other things and then i looked up and there it was there there were actually there were three cigar box guitars there four strings and there were two brown ones and then there was this white one and it had the word connecticut on it it did it still does yes <laughs> i haven't painted over it yet no not yet we never will and i just i was i was attracted to it i was drawn to it it's a it's a beautiful ornament it was it was it was a mystical thing you know, and this has happened to me in the past with certain things. You know, you come across something and it's just, it feels like it was meant for you. Yep. This felt like it was meant for me. And so I brought you round to this room you'd never been in before. Which is my cue to run and <laughs> I'd, I'd never learn. You know, and there were also violins there. And we were talking about the violins and Can't you were saying... Can't get a cheap violin. There's no such thing as a cheap no such violin. Thing as a and then, and then I showed it to you, and and you said, "Do you want it?" Oh yeah. And I was like, "I really do," but I don't know how to play it. But I really want it, and I picked it up again, and I'm cradling it in my arms. And you're like, "Yeah, yeah, we'll get it." <laughs> it was only three hundred dollars. It made me feel better for spending seven hundred dollars on my guitar. <laughs> 650 you talked the guy down, oh, got down you yeah. got a you got a deal and you got a case with yours so yeah and made the the horrible dentist appointment all the better there we go for Whew. yeah and i've ordered some books for it so i oh. can start teaching myself shall we preamble with you and then we got shawarma that's, that's not <laughs> important shall we preamble with you yes please give us some of that elderly calling news James Carroll, former actor on Brookside and Corey, has died abruptly. Um, he oh. did he did have pneumonia in 2020, so there's kind of speculation, but it seems like 
it just it just happened and everyone was kind of surprised. He is the gentleman who played Mary's sword fighting friend. Oh. Colin. So no more scenes with Colin. Did we have many scenes with Colin? I think we had a few. Couple. But maybe. they were delightful. He was also a member of a ska band. So that he was he was a very well rounded individual and will be missed by friends and family. Oh that's a wee shame. Yes. Millie Gibson shared on Insta the sweet framed picture that Charlie DeMello gifted her, <laughs> as well as a card with a ferret on it. Class. A, a trim up north ferret? Maybe. It, oh, yeah. I forgot about about uh, David's ferret. Van Weasel. Yes. Who is a weasel, not a ferret. Although I guess ferrets are a form of weasel. I don't know, David Attenborough. You'll need to tell me. <laughs> Still, it was really cute. And everything, and just especially since in the show, you know, much is made of a picture of Kelly and Imran. Oh, that's sweet, which yeah. we will get to. Oof. So it was sweet to see that picture. Corey News was kind of thin on the ground this week. I would never have guessed. <laughs> and finally, Jack James Ryan was on Granada Reports yesterday to talk about cobbles goss, but also to raise awareness on testicular cancer as. He is a teenage cancer survivor. Yeah, I read this, first of all, a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. maybe three weeks ago. And it was like, shocking. I just th- thought he was raising awareness for it mm-hmm. generally. I didn't realise that Or maybe he, he had an uncle with it or something, it, right? yeah. That's shocking at such an early age. Yeah. Good for him, though, because that sort of thing at that age could be quite stigmatising, I guess. And right, maybe, an ox. Right. But, yeah. But good, you know, he just seems like that kind of guy, though, that just... Yes. Nothing knocks him out of his stride, and yeah, he just seems really lovely, doesn't he? Though I'm glad the doesn't show, I'm glad the show has kept him around because he's he's a delightful, yeah, and rehabilitated. I thought he was a good villain, but he's even better as a kind of a little bit of a lovable rogue. Yes, him a, and Mary, a rake together, one would say. the two of them together, and that's Corey News. Well, that means that now it's time for World Podcast for Coffee then. I'm not drinking coffee. Are you drinking coffee? No, I'm on the Canada Dry Sugar Free. Oh. Because we're recording this one at night again because yes. you're camping heading off camping, which we've spoke about. Yes. Briefly. At length. <laughs> I'm drinking iced tea out of my Lieutenant Uhura Star Trek glass. Oh, where did these come from? We, like, we don't have enough glasses. We, I've had this since, we need like, get, We need to get rid of some of these glasses. Well, you've broken two. I haven't broken any. <laughs> That green one, well, broke. You didn't break it. I broke one of the bumpy ones. I'm oh, sure this oh, is all very so, fascinating so we've gone to from people. I've broken two to I've broken none and you've broken <laughs> one. Good. Anyway, we're buying our own coffees this week, which is fine. Which it's is fine. fine. It's, it's fine. absolutely it's fine, hell. It's fine. It's fine. But if you think that this nonsense is worth anything more than, <laughs> than just your time and effort to listen to, then you can buy us a coffee bag heading to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And Helen and I will be very appreciative, won't we, Helen? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and now new tubes. <laughs> I'll be appreciative. <laughs> I'll be appreciative enough for both of us. Because I'm nice that way. Are you? Although I've been kind of lazy when it came with the new tubes, though. Uh-oh. There is no... I like to do a little special extra thing every week 
that tends to get released on a Tuesday. Right. I don't get around to this week. It's oh. just, just a, too many things to do. But I'm working on a larger project that's going to be realised in the next couple of weeks or so. Oh, no. That, that's been requested by viewers, so... Anyway, I'll be doing that. There's the regular stuff. There's last week's podcast. There's last night's Corey in under four minutes. I didn't do the three favourite clips again because, again, I've been a little bit too busy. But anyway, fine. if any of that tickles your fancy, you can head over to youtube.com slash the talk of the street podcast, smash that subscribe button and give a little tickle to that notification bell. And now this. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about the physical act of love. That has something to do with Dev, doesn't it? Yes, it does. This was Dev thinking that Bernie was becoming bitches be crazy after a wild night under the sheets. The physical act of love. And the, yeah, it's the way that you said it made it obvious that it was Dev. There we go. Yeah. I was Gavin and you were sunburnt. I don't remember that. Last year? Yeah. Oh, this, this time last year, even. Oh, well. This time last year, Tyrone wore his MSU shirt for the first time. Woo! Oh, that's right. You were out doing a... Were you doing a yard sale or something? Was that this weekend? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Again. We was had, this time and last then there year. was the, the Pride event in town. We had no Pride event this year. I'm very sad. I was worried that maybe we should have sent them a Eaton Rapids t-shirt or a Timbot 4000 t-shirt. Maybe we'll get round to that. We were working out how to record this while we were away in Tennessee. Luckily, the show was still doing its three times 30 minutes, which made it a little bit easier. I remembered it when it was just like half an hour. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. And we went to Tennessee. I, I loved that. Peter has gone AWOL as news comes through that another lover has been found for him and Kirk's brother, Kiefer, has an hour to find him and get him to hospital. The biggest problem with Johnny and Jenny's relationship hitting the skids is that we have to go through the rigmarole of someone else taking over the rovers, but Daisy's charm offensive should put paid to that. Bernie enacting revenge on Evelyn goes off in a direction that no one could have predicted and results in Dev's staircase carpet taking a pound in. Parents of, parents of the year, Tyrone and Fitz decide that the best thing for the girls is for them to argue, point score and lawyer up against each other. Gemma worries if she can still talk with her mouth full while using sign language. Daniel has a grammar-correcting pen. Addy will never forget his basketball gear again. And Summer needs an early night. Our moment of the week was Peter and Shona sharing because a connection. Because she was studying for her exams mm -hmm. to get into Oxford this time last year. It's been going on for a year. <laughs> Do you know, I thought it just felt like it's been going on for a year. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably more accurate. And our boring moment of the week was Chesney logging into email. Where is Chesney? And Gemma. Shush you. Have have the quads eaten them? <laughs> and that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street. This time last year. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this morning, this evening, is <laughs> I know what you did last summer. <laughs> oh, well done. Thank you. Well done. It's all downhill from here. On Monday... <laughs> Asher drops in to see Summer, who is waiting to hear if the exam board are going to let her take the final exam. There seems to be some confusion because she can only appeal if she's unable to take the exam or something. None of this makes a huge amount of sense to no. me. But the bottom line is that Summer has a dilemma about agreeing to take a final exam. Right, yeah, because she says, well, I can take it now, so so I'm able to take it. 
And so I don't feel right appealing because I'm fine now. And it's like you just got out of hospital. Is that what it was? Yeah. Mm. It's another grand meeting of Summer Spellman's three dads, a.k.a. the Council of Exes. But Billy can't make it because of the impending release of Religion 2.0. <laughs> and he's got some bugs to iron out. So instead we have Todd and Paul alone in Billy's house discussing what to do with Summer. Paul always makes me think of Paul Reiser and that other guy in My Two Dads. Greg Evigan. What, what was that again? Greg Evigan, begin again. <laughs> Kazoo tight. He was my favourite one. <laughs> Paul Reiser was my favourite one. Greg Evigan and his beard. Paul mentions <laughs> that Summer is still thinking of doing that confusing exam thing and she's getting better, but it feels too soon. Todd's mind is on a party to celebrate her finishing. And I like that. Meanwhile, Summer is with Aaron. Aaron seems to be quite shy to spend any money on tram fares or chips. He's a man after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Stop, stop selling yourself short. You bought your wife a $300 cigar box guitar this week. It was more a Scots be miserly kind of joke right. that was making. I know, I know. But Summer gets home and is surprised to see Paul and saw Todd leaving and so realises that they've been chinwagging about her. Let's hope. Paul thinks it's too soon for the exam, but admits that Todd thinks differently, and all three will be proud of her no matter what. No matter what? No matter what. No matter what. Addy goes round to see someone surprises her with colour-coded revision cards for her upcoming exam. That was quite funny. He produces the cards, uh-huh. and he obviously bums them up because he's really, really proud of them. Yeah, and as he should be. She, and when she sees that they're colour-coded, she's like, ooh, they're colour-coded. <laughs> yes, but the subtitles had the exclamation point in parentheses which indicates that she was being sarcastic. sarcastic i don't think she was being sarcastic she didn't look sarcastic she looked genuinely impressed that they were color-coded which she is something that she would be impressed about she seemed a little flirty as well which oh did you think sends mixed messages a little mm-hmm. bit there so. doesn't it i have tons of complaints about summer but not about that He's even got a mnemonic for uh, tackling English lit questions and he lets Summer keep the cards to help her. He says, in fact, that he would be very offended if she didn't take the cards. Correct. So Mary finds Summer in the community garden and chats to her about cartoon chickens. Summer finds the opportunity to talk about her final exam tomorrow and Mary remembers Summer's robot and thinks everyone is so very proud of her. Todd is even planning a party. A what? asks Summer. A party! shouts Mary. And she goes back round to see Summer again and close off the circle of this storyline for today and Summer has decided that she's going to do the exam tomorrow anyway. And this time, she isn't going to shit herself or whatever it was that happened the last time. On Wednesday, Summer is trying to study with Addie's cards but she's shite and keeps forgetting stuff. She tells Ted to bolt. He's not her dad. Ted? He doesn't even live here anymore. Ted? Todd. He said Ted. I think it's just, I think you're just not paying attention. I am paying attention. This is why you should be happy when I'm not paying attention to Addy you. is ready to head off to his final exam, but not before a tearful dev says how proud he is of him and knows how he'll do it splendidly and all the very blah, best. Blah, 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 blah. Summer is ridiculous, by the way, with Todd. Like, she's forgetting one theme of atonement. Again, I'm. It's a great book. I'm surprised they're teaching it in a school, though. It's an all right book. I liked it. I it's liked it better right. than the movie. Oh, yeah, sure. But, you know, the way she's like, oh, she, she can't remember the last thing, which was grief, which is weird that she couldn't. Guilt. Or guilt. That's right. And so Todd tells her and she's like, no, no, don't tell me. I'm supposed to know these. Well, this is how you know them, Summer, by being told the one that you're forgetting. I think her point is, why are you in this house? <laughs> 
I, he seems to have a key. They all have a key. Paul yep. has a key. Yep. Why? And why Why are they all friends again? Every time this comes up, I, I'm not forgetting about this. Nobody, it, would, nobody seems to be forgetting that everybody seems to each other. Because Paul was so pissed off that Billy took uh, Todd's, Todd's side, side or, yeah. or, or believed Todd. And Billy is obviously furious with, um, with Todd for the whole deception thing. And some are getting knocked down by Kathy. Right. Or whoever. But, yeah, but, but never really forgave <clears throat> Paul either. No, none of them were. It it seems like it seems like it seems like there's there's this tacit bearing of the of the proverbial hatchet. We need to see it because yes, but it seems like it, they're they're doing it for summer. You know, they're not hanging out as friends, but they do get together to talk about summer because they're her three dads. Hmm. But yes, we should see. I guess we kind of saw that when Billy was working at raw at raw. Bleh. Roy's or Nina's roles, technically. Yes. <laughs> and he and he was like, I've called this meeting of of my three dads. The Council of the Exes. The, yeah. yeah. The Council of the Exes. So they're still firmly exes. And there were a few times that like Paul and Todd this week were kind of needling one another still. So they're not pals. They don't go you know, out for a pint together. But it seems that Billy has asked Todd to keep an eye on Summer. And therefore, Todd is there first thing in the morning. It's Well, because that's one of her dads. So it's like... You get the impression, or one gets the impression, that when we see Todd here, when we see Paul there, it's it feels like it's meant to be Billy. Co-parenting. What was wrong with 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 Brocklebank that week that that he was just just kind of disappeared? I've no idea. That, that's, that's just kind of what, what we're saying, right? Because it was until Friday. There's there's this big gaping Billy-sized hole right. and in the whole thing, explaining where Billy is, right, and why he's not there. He's actually doing church work for once. Oh, there was a break in. Or there's a break in the church. Billy's been trying to sell the pews again. Which just reminded me of that time that there was a guy living underneath the stairs in our church. Oh, that's a cheery segue. <laughs> in the exam, suppose Genius Summer is struggling with the questions. She smuggled the revision cards in with her little insulin pack. The invigilator sees her fanning around with the cards and asks if she's okay. And she lies about her blood sugars. And so they go outside. So outside, Summer has to pretend to prepare her insulin kit, but then she notices that the colourful revision cards, they're not in her case anymore. Right. And uh, that's because she's such a fucking idiot that she dropped them on the floor in the exam right by right. Addie's desk. Okay, okay, all right. If she was holding that bag upside down so that the cards fell out, the cards which are thin, the cards which are not very heavy, wouldn't the heavy things like her diabetes stuff <laughs> fall out first. That's not how gravity works, Helen. And also, when she walks by and we watch her walk by Addie, we, we, you know, we're there with her as she's walking out of the room. Wouldn't we hear stuff fall out of that pouch if she was holding it upside down? Because there's a lot of cards. You'd think somebody would have heard them fall on the floor. Or oh, wouldn't somebody notice this rainbow pouring out of her Right. Pencil case or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it land, and this, it's, it's at his this, feet. This <laughs> whole so thing is so convoluted and ridiculous. I just, hmm. 
I'd, I'd, I, you know what? I'd much rather, I'd much, I'd much rather have Daniel gaslighting someone. <laughs> well, than this ridiculous storyline. Well, line. wouldn't we all? <laughs> but anyway, she drops a card right at Addie's desk, clearly discovered by the second invigilator who recognised the handwriting. Who looks like a, who looks like Catherine Tate a wee bit. And throws Addie out. Someone overhears a commotion from the supposed cheat and is about to confess until the invigilator drags Addie off to see Crawshaw. And so she slinks back into the exam, passing Addie's empty seat. Now, these cards are on the floor. Mm-hmm. Addy doesn't have them on his desk. He's not looking at them. They're on the floor. How could somebody cheat by throwing cards on the floor in the well, middle that, that, of the I think aisle? The assumption is that they fell. Wouldn't he have noticed that and been surreptitiously, you know, leaning his foot over to scoot them out of the way so well, that no well, one would see them? Maybe she noticed them too soon for that to happen. This whole thing. That's, is, that's not that's not the, the problem with this. The this problem whole, with this we've already covered. Well, the whole problem with this is everything about this. So later on the way out of the exam, she walks by Crosshaw's office and hears her tearing a strip off of Addie and she just keeps on walking. Because she's a bitch. <laughs> Back home. Todd wants to know how the exam went, but Summer can't chat because she has to speak with Addie. So she gets Addie off the bus and confesses that she was cheating with his cards and she'll speak to Crawshaw tomorrow, but Addie tells her not to. They can't prove nothing and this will fuck Summer's Oxford chances once and for all if she's done for cheating. Addie, though, he doesn't look like he gives a shit one way or the other. So Summer decides not to do the right thing. Yeah, and he does this whole thing that Mary did about how you're the best of us. You represent the street. You're the one who will do great and mighty things. You know what you never, ever, ever say to a kid, especially a kid in like who's who's been recognized as being gifted. You never say that shit to one of those kids because then they turn out in their 40s (laughs) to be podcasting about a soap opera. That's what's going to happen to Summer in 30 years time. She's going to be podcasting about Coronation Street. Probably it'll still be on the air. Yikes. And I think I'll say that on behalf of all our listeners. <laughs> Yikes, though, Helen. Seriously. I presume you're talking about you. Back at Dev's, he's already found out from Mrs. Crawshaw, and he's furious with Addy that you might get excluded for this. And, and Dev's points, right? It's like you don't think that these exams are important, but they are important. They are important, Addy. Todd comes in later. Uh, to get some messages and Addy checks to make sure that Summer is okay after the exam stuff. Dev overhears us and reckons there's something suspicious going on and he tells Todd about Addy cheating and Todd says Summer never mentioned it, which makes Dev even more suspicious. Yes. So he goes round to see Summer but finds Todd instead because of course Todd's in Billy's flat. Of course. Todd wants to know what it's about and Dev says he wants to know what she knows about the cheating incident. Todd gets dead defensive but Dev says on his way out, all I'm doing is trying to get to the truth here. Yes. Later, Summer gets he home. He can't handle the truth. And Todd gently quizzes her about his running with Dev and the exam and asks her if she knows anything about Addie's cheating. Summer thinks for a moment, then denies all knowledge. Because she's a bitch. And at this point, Summer was far more mature years ago when she was Summer 1.0. Right, yeah. Seriously. Seriously, what what have they done to this child? Now, we got an email from Connecticut Trisha. Mm-hmm at this point in the storyline. And she makes a, an interesting point, I feel. This point was, was one that she made as she was travelling from one Dunkin' Donuts to another. And it was to say that as as a person of colour, as 
Connecticut Trisha is, uh-huh. that there is something kind of blind about some nice little white girl yeah. allowing Addy Brown boy. to take the blame for her. Yeah. When the the kind of the, the significance of that and the, the consequences of that mm-hmm. are probably harsher for Addy than they would be right. for her. Which I thought was an interesting point. Well, and I also think it's a point that the show hasn't considered in, in the slightest. No. And honestly, thank you. Thank you, Trisha, for, for that. Because honestly, it wasn't something I was thinking of either. And more shame me because usually I'm, you know. All over that shit. A little bit better at, at, at noticing this kind of thing. But yeah, that's, that's an excellent, excellent point. And it kind of, the fact that that, that, um, that that woman just automatically assumed because those cards were right there. And like, she couldn't have known when she picked the cards up that it was Addie's handwriting. Oh, that's why she looked at it first and she put the card down and saw that the handwriting was the same and then said, Right. She did the right thing. I don't think she just assumed. She kind of got some proof about it before. Addie, you know, there's, there's another kid on the other side there that was as equally close to those cards on the floor as Addie. That's a reach. They're they're at Addie's feet. Yeah, uh, but, you know, still, the, the the assumption that he's cheating. Well, she has some proof because the hand rate's the same. Meh. Anyway, you know, the, the fact that she's very quick to just... And everybody is kind of... And even even after all of this, even after all of this, which we will get to, the way Crawshaw reacts when the truth is revealed compared to Crawshaw tearing a strip off of Addie is a little revealing. Yeah, I think maybe because Summer's deemed to be kind of fragile and stuff, maybe that that explains it. But I think Trisha's point as well was, why isn't Summer, who is supposedly intelligent, mm-hmm. intelligent enough to think that this is a really bad thing to do? Right. Given the, the, the connotations of it. Right. From a, an ethnicity point of view. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. And why is the show not thinking about that? Well, it's the show, right? Right, yeah. So on Friday, Billy's home and pacing on the floor. On the floor? Yes. Well, his feet are on the floor. He's there. He's He's on the the phone. I think he's on the phone to the school. And it turns out that Dev has said, to hell with this, and has gone to Crawshaw anyway. Yes. There's a meeting arranged for 1pm, and Summer doesn't want Billy to be there, which is fine because religion is blown up right now, and Billy is just (laughs) swamped. At the store, Addy's sticking by his story, and now he doesn't want Dev to be at the school either. Dev reckons that he's covering for Summer because he's in love with her, but privately and later, he learned from Asha that Summer has a new boyfriend. Uh-oh. Addy meets up with Summer at the bus stop. She's having liar's regret, but Addy thinks it's too late to change their mind now or they'll both get into trouble. Dev appears from round the corner and shouts that Summer is seeing someone else and shouts at Summer for not dum, telling dum, Addy about dum. it. So two of them scurry off quickly and head to school. At the school, Summer can't explain why she didn't tell him about Aaron. She says she doesn't deserve a friend like him, and Dev is right to hate her. She's right. Addie tells her to have a fucking word with herself. This self-hate shite is getting on everyone's tits. Seriously. Or maybe it was me who said that. <laughs> Addie has spoken with Crawshaw, and now it's Summer's turn, and she decides to tell the truth. She's not as smart as everyone says she is. She's a cheating scumbag, and she's a terrible friend. Or maybe it was me who said that too. Mm-hmm. She thought that everything would get better once the exams were done, she says. Crawshaw is unimpressed. Both of them are taking the blame for bringing the cards into the exam. Addy refuses to throw his friend under the bus, so Crawshaw threatens to cut the baby in half 
and then we'll see what happens, or both of them will be disqualified from the exam. Yes. It turns that out, is the baby we are splitting, to be clear. It turns out that Addy does seem to be a little bit pissed off about this new boyfriend after all. Summer explains that Addy's a good friend who still fancies her, tickets on herself much, and saying all this out loud has made her feel better. She can't run away from this anymore. She admits to cheating again, and she hurriedly leaves to go home and tell Billy, getting a call from Todd about the party that's happening at the, at the speed dial right now. Right, which is basically some gold balloons and Todd and Paul. Where's Mary? I thought Mary was supposed to be there. Where's Amy? Where's her pals? Yeah, where's Asha? Asha's probably pissed at her with the way she treated her brother. Yeah, I so. would not blame her. So Summer finally makes it to the speed dial where Paul and Todd have brought balloons. Happy end of your exams, they shout. Summer tells them the truth and Todd goes a little bit rad here. Being a cheat is shitty enough, but letting Addy take the blame, that's even worse. And Summer rushes off, upset, which allows Paul to feel superior for a bit. Well, he is superior in every way. And that brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. I voted just, just so that I, I could time. I kind of mistimed this one. Yeah. Because I wanted the... I tend to let it run... Like for a day. Or up until we're about to record. And right. I was assuming we'd be recording tomorrow morning. So this is a vote that's in progress. Summer dashed out a speed dial on Freddy's episode, clearly very upset. So where should Todd have arranged the surprise exam party celebrations instead? I picked the tattoo parlour. Wait until I read the fucking options. Oh, fine. How about the bistro? Or how about tattoo will do nicely? I still don't know what that's supposed to mean. Is it a pun? Yeah, instead of that'll do nicely. Tattoo will do nicely? Yeah. It should be tattle do nicely. But it's not a tattle shop, it's a tattoo shop. But it's tat, apostrophe, L-L. Tattle as in that'll. Look, the show's not great. Tattoo will do nicely? Tattoo That's awful. As, as we will see in another storyline, anyway. the show's not great about creating <laughs> branding. So, The co-op sandwich aisle, or wherever Billy was, and the voting was thus. The bistro was 12%. Tattoo will do nicely, 13.3%. Woohoo! Co-op sandwich aisle... 33.3%, but the winner was wherever Billy was, 41.3%. Where was he at this point? Was somebody dying? I think somebody might have been dying. <laughs> she runs down the gunnel and Addy finds out she's thought of an excuse for not telling him about Aaron, but instead of telling him what that excuse is, she turns the conversation round to her unforgivable cheating and how everyone is entitled to hate her. So we never get to hear that excuse. Yes. Next, Aaron turns up in the gunnel and Addy takes his leave. Ox. Oh, very ox. When he's gone, Summer decides that she doesn't want to go out with Aaron now after all. It's over, she says. What's over, he says. Us, she says. Oh, he says. This is what you get when you make me buy your chips, she says. <laughs> she uh, does. Uh, is she going to have to find a guy named Ardvark next? She does like those double A's. Ardvark comes before Aaron. Yeah, but... Aaron and Addie both start with a double A. Yeah. So I was just thinking of another word that has a double A. That would be Ardvark. Yes. Anymore? That's the joke. Anymore? No. Ardwolf. That's the thing. <laughs> Ard- it's the first time Keep I've it that in your back pocket, haven't you? I think that's the first time I've said Ardwolf out loud. And it's and we're recording it. <laughs> For posterity. 
actually the noise that the hard wolf makes. <laughs> this isn't that funny. It's not funny. This Why am I laughing? At the flat, Paul is still enjoying being superior, pointing out how messed up summer has been lately. Todd does what Todd does best, and he blames everyone else. That's Paul says summer needs Billy. So Summer heads home and bumps into Billy outside. She doesn't want them to be nice to her. Paul and Todd appear too, so now we know that none of them are pretending to be Billy. <laughs> Summer has had a good long think to herself and she's made a decision. She doesn't want to go to university anymore. You've got to be fucking, fucking kidding, kidding me, me, says, says everyone. everyone. <laughs> and that's as far as we get with that this week. What, is she, what did she say she wants to do instead of going to university? She didn't. She gonna go she like just on left a it at that. mission trip or something. Around She's the world. Go on a, a She's going to take over Roy's position in Darkest Peru with Paddington. Ah, she's going to end up working in the Knicker factory, isn't she? God, I hope not. And sales, maybe? Oh, they always need another salesperson over there. I said on Twitter, I've been saying this for a, a while, but this week I said on Twitter that Alfie will get to Oxford before someone does. Mm-hmm. And I feel somewhat vindicated with that opinion. Yes. I... Here is where here it, is where, where where they're going wrong with this. <laughs> There's only is, one. I think it. I think it comes out of all this, is that they, they keep on forgetting that she has an eating disorder. Because I think it's the eating disorder that's causing all this, all the memory fog and the anxiety and right. stuff. But they don't show us enough of that. No. The they, last they time don't. this was mentioned, I think, was back when uh, Amy was shown her a picture of a dress that she was going to trick Stephen to buying for right. her and someone just she kind of moved about uncomfortably and maybe pulled right. down her dungarees a well, little bit. Well she made a she made a joke with Aaron about two people with an eating disorder going out for chips. Yeah but I, I don't know if that's enough. It's not. None of this none of this is enough. They've spread What's the important part here? Is the important part that someone wants to go to Oxford? Is the important no. part all the revision that she's doing? No. Is the important part the diabetes that she's got? Kind of. Is, is the important part the love triangle that she's absolutely kind of got going not. With Addie and Aaron? No. Is the important thing the eating disorder that she's it, got? It, it, is the important thing trying to deal with having three father <laughs> figures in her life all trying to have their same influence? Right, on her? right. She's got three dads and poor Alfie has none. Right. He should maybe borrow one. Right, yeah. What of what of them should just take Alfie over? So so when you say you have a problem with the not you, but when one says that they have a problem with the summer storyline, it's like which part of it? Right. Which yeah, part they've in spread particular? it far too thin. And they've just they've made her so annoying and that it's, it, that it's hard to sympathize with what she's going through. And I think that is very dangerous to people who actually do have eating disorders with or without the diabetes you know because then it's like oh you know people with eating disorders they just sit around they complain about their food all the time and how fat they are when they're all really skinny well Well, that's not not necessarily true no and she's not even really doing that that much she's complaining about everything else she was doing that in the beginning and then she kind of just bottled it up and this whole as you and i and like a million people have pointed out if she's as smart as everyone thinks she is, she should not have to revise this much and she should not be this worried about exams because smart people tend to not be worried about exams. No, and she should she should be knowing that the way for her to be better and all this is to 
take her medication when she's supposed to be taking her right. medication and yeah. she continually doesn't how many times has she been in the hospital with us right so yeah three times four times she keeps forgetting to take her medication and check her sugars and it's like this is not or she lies is, about it this is not helping anyone this is not helpful <laughs> i don't think so you know and these storylines are supposed to be helpful right they're supposed to be educational for people not going through the stuff like this and they're supposed to be affirming for people who have been going through things like this at least that's that's kind of my point this that's kind of the way that i feel about these storylines when they when they bring them up and they talk them up and they say we've been talking with people who have this and right. they're very they're very hopeful because this aspect of diabetes isn't talked about an awful lot etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's just so clouded now and she's become such an unsympathetic character that it's not any of that stuff this is the consequence of throwing so much at her right which is what they do they they because before it was asha that they were throwing everything at and for a very brief time it was amy that they were throwing everything at you know and abby constantly gets they gets far too much thrown at her you know, this is what they do. And it's frustrating. And I don't know the reasons for this. Maybe there aren't any reasons for this. Maybe this is just the way that it, that it kind of lands. But it's made to feel all the more unusual by the fact that Billy is never there. And Billy would be there. Yeah. I mean, there was that whole emotional conversation that they had on the couch where he promised he would always be there. And that he was, going to he take was there of for us. her and he was going to be, you know, and the way that he has been in control is to delegate it to Paul and Todd, two people who can't really get along with one another very well without Billy being there. No, and who I don't think Billy would call trustworthy, really. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of part of the problem. And... Uh, I hope she doesn't go to Oxford. I hope she does put that aside or or delays it for a year right. until she sorts herself out a bit. But I don't. I hope she goes. But I don't, the sooner the better. But I don't think there's any chance of that happening. No, of course not. But still, you know, it would it would give some breathing room to this character and what she's going through for her to go away for a while. Oh, just let her go out with Addy, for God's sake. Even though Addy's destined for Amy and oh, and their little Jacob, Jacob. And their, their little detective agency thing that they they got going right, on, they still need to get a Great Dane though and a van. There's something for that. Let's move on. Our next storyline today is bully for Sean. On Monday, Sean is up and in a great mood because his new fella is coming round later. George and Eileen are keen to get a name from Sean, and Sean tells him it's Frank, but maybe Frankie? Frank is more of a Frankie. So uh, Frankie, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Turns up. I don't know if it is Frank or Frankie. Is it Frankie? It's Frank, but Sean, because he's Sean, calls him Frankie. Well, then I shall call him Frank. <laughs> so Frank turns up at Eileen's. <laughs> I Eileen. shall call him Frankenstein. But she assumes he's a monster. That, that he's an ex-convict selling cleaning products door to door. That was funny. <laughs> that was funny. Until Sean sticks his head out the window and tells him, hold on a minute, a minute, and Eileen is mortified. Eileen, Sean and Frank are at the Rovers talking about Sean's usual type. Eileen expected someone younger with better dress sense. And either deaf or invisible would also probably help. <laughs> and there's some there's some nice banter there, that you know, where where even Frankenstein's monster is taking the piss out of out of Eileen a little bit, even though he's just met her and and she's 
very gracious about it and everything. And, and it seems to be going swimmingly. Frank is at the bar when George comes in and it turns out the two of them know each other from school. Frank's saying, hello, Georgie Porgy. Pudding and pie. Ooh, kiss the girls and made them cry. Yes, when the boys came out to play. Oh, Georgie Porgy, he ran away. Yes. Closet homosexual. <laughs> no. For pride. Back in their booth, Frank... Frank reminisces to George about their school days, but it's clear that George isn't looking back quite so fondly. <sighs> Frank talks about a game where they used to put random shite into a PE teacher's sports bag. This was starting to get uh, a little bit creepy here, isn't it? A PE teacher? <coughs> With a big bag? Because we all know PE teachers, right? I don't know, mine was a lesbian. <clears throat> and remembers George putting the class Skellington into his bag. Yes, because he must be good at that because his family is so good at manipulating corpses. Right. Frank finds it hilarious, but George is embarrassed by the memory. Back home, Eileen goes on about how nice Frank seems and how it's a small world and everything, but I wouldn't like to paint it. When George doesn't respond positively, she insists that he tells her the truth. So sheepishly, George admits that Frank was a bully. He was a nasty bit of work and it only got worse when word got out that George's dad was an undertaker and he made no end of WWE jokes at his expense. <laughs> Frank was such a nasty bastard, he forced George to do the Skellington thing and it got so bad that he stopped going to school. Seeing him again today made him feel as scared as he was when he was back at school. <sighs> and now George is worried that Frank will bully him if he stays over with Sean tonight and sees George's uh, CPAP mask. Eileen tells him to explain how he feels to Frank, but George's path of least resistance is to fuck off home and ignore the problem. Mm -hmm. On Wednesday, George goes round to Eileen's and relaxes when he hears that Frank has already left. Eileen tells George not to let it get to him, but George thinks the situation will improve once Sean and Frank split up. <laughs> Eileen meets up with Frank and the Rovers and after a bit of a palaver where Frank talks an awful lot, she manages to get Frank to apologise to George about school. Frank always thought that he'd gotten well with George but agrees to apologise for anything that he did that George found offence in. And honestly, this feels very accurate because like, I'm Facebook friends with a lot of the people who used to bully me in school and like, you know, when, when, we, when we talk about school and stuff, there are things that I remember that they don't remember because it didn't impact them. Oh yeah, it was just another day. In the same in the same way. Right. And some of them is like, oh, that it never occurred to me that that might hurt your feelings. It's hilarious. It's kind of the other kids who were also bullied by other people who have apologized to me for bullying me, and I'm like, you you, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you were the closeted gay kid. You were like the best friend I ever had. Oh, and they thought that they bullied you. Yeah. Well, they got that relationship wrong, didn't they? <laughs> and that was your best friend? Well, maybe not my best friend. Good but job. He actually, the one that I'm thinking of, he actually helped me because the the bully, the girl bully, who I am not Facebook friends with, and I don't even know where she is in the world, who almost broke my arm once, uh, she stole my Trapper Keeper and she had used Whiteout to cover my name, you know, and write her name over it. Oh. And he was the one who the figured... perfect crime. <laughs> He was, and he's, she was like insisting, no, it's not hers because it does see it doesn't have her name on it. And it was this kid who said, wait a second. And like got a damp ha. cloth and wiped the white off off. And there was my name. He was like a, he was like a Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And I was Watson. <laughs> he kind of looked like Sherlock Holmes too. Cause he was tall and skinny. Anyway. Let's face it. A really bad Sherlock Holmes <laughs> adventure. The, not the best the case of the inappropriately <laughs> used to fix right to steal a trapper keeper 
It makes me wonder because I don't think that I bullied anybody, but I, I wonder if I'm thinking like rose tinted spectacles and all yeah. that. The kind of shit that because I got up to shit at school, right. so everyone probably was bullied by some. I was bullied by somebody, but uh-huh. I don't know if, if I was a bully to someone else. I, yeah. I, I guess somebody maybe thinks that they were. I was. I was so far down the ladder. There was nobody left for me to bully. Oh, but that's fine. Give us your dinner money. <laughs> yeah, <gasps> it's all coming back to me now. Asshole. Right. So I heard that before. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. So Eileen is great in this situation. She is because she's like she's just sitting there and she's so tired of his shit already. Right. And she's like. No, no, nobody called me Eileen over. No, mm-hmm. no, just apologize. Right. And apologize better. Right. And don't tell them that it was me. Right, yeah. Don't don't say, I'm sorry that you're, you know. If if you were offended over it. Right, yeah. Which on, is never a good look. On the street, Frank grabs George and apologizes for any upset caused now or in the past or in the future and wants to make sure that they're all good. He insists that they all have dinner at the bistro to bury the hatchet. George is confused and doesn't think there is a hatchet, but agrees. So at the bistro, Frank is the perfect host, by which I mean he gets the first round of drinks in. Eileen nods at George. George nods at Eileen. Maybe this will be civilised after all. And so after dinner, Frank goes to pay, and it's been such a nice night, George wants to offer to pay the tip. But not like that. Hmm. But you hear Frank humming... The Just John, the tip. The John Brown's body lies a mouldering in the grave, and he loses his shit, telling Frank that he can stuff his tip up his arse. Right! Up, up his, his arse. arse, but not like that. But it's ridiculous, because he didn't even know he was... There, you know, he was just humming to himself. But why was he humming it? Why not? Because he hummed it every time he saw the Undertaker. So now, after seeing the Undertaker, he's got this little subliminally being reminded. Right, there's of like it. a muscle memory, but still, right. he's not, he's not doing it right in George's face. But does that matter to George? No, not one little bit. So back home, it looks like George is moving out on a more permanent basis. George hates being like this and hanging out on his own at his place until Sean dumps Frank or vice versa. Why doesn't Eileen just move into George's? He's got that massive house. Well, it's Eileen's house. Right, but still, wouldn't she be happier in this massive house at just collecting rent from the others? I think Sean, well, maybe, I guess, maybe. Good. How many people... Todd, Todd lives there. Let's not have the how many people are living in that house conversation again. Too many. Yeah, I quite like this story. I think it's, um, I think like you said, I think it feels authentic. Yeah, yeah. Because I think George, who has grown up to be this nice, lovable, mm-hmm. uh, lovable guy, that learning about this side of him when he was at school, because if he was the son of an undertaker, you have to be pretty sharp to be able to dodge that. Or you have to be able to turn it round into something that's right. That's that's funny, or yeah. at somebody else's expense. It's also just kind of funny to think of of him being bullied because he's so huge. Like he could like destroy. In a nice he could destroy Frank. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and what, it makes you wonder what what they were like as children. Yeah. You know, I mean, he is a giant's brother. This <laughs> is true. This is true. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I'm just happy to have a George and Eileen storyline where they're not breaking up. Well, not yet. He has moved out, though. Let's. Well, yeah, but he wasn't actually moved in. He wasn't technically moved in. He's got a big, massive house. He does. I wonder if this is going to become 
a storyline where Sean has to decide what he wants if this is if he wants a relationship with somebody who is causing his friends so much oh come hurt. on it's Sean he doesn't fucking care as long as he's getting laid yeah, I, was, I, was, I think he's I, was joking about I think he's more concerned about the fact that his friends think that Frank is not his type because he's older and he wears an anorak yeah he doesn't wear uh, shirts with peacock feathers on them right maybe that's not a bad thing I'm trying have we have we seen very many people that Sean has dated he talks a good game right he talks about them but we never see them we haven't seen really anything for a very long time I don't think since we've been doing this that Sean's been in a relationship yeah I think didn't he I think Carol homeless Carol was probably his his closest (laughs) friend and look how he treated her yeah let's move on yes next storyline is cooking up a (laughs) storyline On Monday, David is ready to run Max into school, but Max turns it down because he's meeting Chris at the bus stop. But Shona can... <laughs> she Listen. smells eau de toilet on him, so reckons this is about a girl. Eau de toilet. Max is chatting to a girl in a horrible jacket and offers to help her with her homework. His male friends tell him to go for it. He could totally tap that, one of them says. And he goes, tap that, as if that's not something that he would say. Right. Well, it's something that he would say... If he was in a 1996 romantic comedy starring... Uh-oh. <sighs> Helen's riffing. Owen Wilson and... Wow. <laughs> and you're going to... And Vince Vaughn. Buddy, 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 buddy. <laughs> does that in a lot, doesn't he? He does that in the one movie. Or, or like... The he's, counts. He, or he makes like kissy noises at the woman at the booth in Springers that he thinks is attracted to her and she's actually talking to a baby. I didn't see as he, as, You didn't see Swingers? I don't think so. I don't really like Vince Vaughn. Back home, Max is chatting with Chris on Messenger when he starts to get 30 messages from somebody called Sonia, which is too close to Shona, who has learned that Max fancies her from this Chris bloke. Ooh. The chat goes well until Sonia asks him to ask her out and he refuses, so she asks him out, but she warns him to keep it quiet because her ex is massive and jealous and massively jealous. Right, it's the Undertaker. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> now, we had a thought that maybe Max was gay. Oh, yeah, we were really hoping for that. And at this point... Because wouldn't... Because I, I guess we have Nina and Asha... I guess we never see them together. No, no, we, we we don't have any indication that they are still in a relationship together. I'm not even sure they'll like each other. I mean, Nina's barely in the show, except yeah, she's got a little break time. Yeah, she's like once or twice. Because every time you see her now, you, you get surprised that her hair's blonde at the front. Right. Yeah, she's going through her Billie Eilish phase. Very much so. Yes, which is not a bad thing. Mm. Um, <laughs> but it would be nice. To show that the Gen Z crowd on the show have some have some gayness going on. I still really want a non-binary and a trans and an ace character on the show. Not all three all together, obviously. Three separate characters. A, a trans character. A, a new family comes on this a show. Non, a non-binary character and an ace character. We don't have enough ace representation on television. Ace. The hardware yeah. though. The asexuals. Oh, because we've got that on uh, Emmerdale. Do they? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, 
kudos to Emmerdale because besides that, I think it's just um, Todd on Bojack Horseman, <laughs> you know, who is a cartoon character as far as ace representation on television is concerned. Voiced by what's his name from the from the show with the meth. The breaking of the bad. I'm not having this conversation with you. <laughs> no, th- there was a point up until the, the message where you weren't sure who was messaging because Chris is a kind of yeah. asexual name. and Well, an ambiguous name. Right, an ambiguous name. Uh-huh. <clears throat> is this the Chris? Is Chris the, you know... It, right. It, it seemed that they were, they were playing it kind of both ways for a right. while and then... It doesn't no, it's seem obvi- yeah. Well, we obviously saw him be interested in that girl that his friends think he can tap. Yes, he can tap that <laughs> because he's Vince Vaughn all of a sudden in swingers. On Wednesday, there has been yet another burst pipe at school, which means Max is home early. He asks David for some money so he can buy ingredients for a surprise tea for him and Shona. Ooh. Max is cooking in Gail's Wonder Woman apron. I love that. And throws David and Shona out when they come in too early. And later, Max's dinner, I think it's paella that he's made, has gone down a storm and he's looking forward to making it the next time, but not for David and Shona. Nope. Uh-uh-uh. Uh-uh-uh. Max reveals his interest is in the girl and David and Shona quiz him about whether... They quiz him about whether there's an ex on the scene or something like that and he confirms that there is. So I'm kind of worried, obviously, now that right, yeah. this ex is going to... Have an issue with this, right? Which would not necessarily be a bad thing. On Friday, the storyline takes a little swerve, and Shona has decided that she's on a duvet week, which means that she walks around the house wrapped in a duvet. With flamingos on it. David has taken the day off too, and the two of them head back to bed. Kelly's at the barber, but there's no one there to open up because Maria's not there either. Right. I'm thinking, really, this is the (laughs) storyline? There's been holiday confusion. Apparently. Apparently so. Sean and David's duvet day takes them to speed dial, but they've got dressed. In comes Maria, surprised to see David because she's got the day off. And the two of them argue about who was supposed to have the day off and which calendar they wrote it in properly. And mm-hmm. Maria says it's a computer one because it's 2022, David. Yes. And outside the barbers, three people in desperate need for a haircut and Brian pointing at his eyebrows yes. are waiting, fuming. Maria has a council meeting and she tries to postpone it so she can take care of Brian's eyebrows. Three hours later... And Maria has finished Brian's eyebrows. <laughs> Back home, David complains about wasting his day off. He hires women to deal with all this shit. And Shona Wait thinks, a second! Hold up! Who owns that barber shop? It's not David. Oh, it's Maria. Right. So who's hiring who there? Or is it Audrey? It's Audrey, but Audrey and Maria co-own it. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So who the hell is David thinking he's hiring to clean shit up? Well, how is David all of a sudden this big misogynist twat in the show? Shona thinks her stomach slash brain injury has transported her back to the 1970s. Right, because he's such a shithead. Go tell her, don't whine to me about it, you're ruining my doobie week. So right. he plans to have this out with Maria, and that's all that happens there. Well, that was a shitload of nothing. Right. What an asshole. Oh, he is an asshole. What a fucking asshole. He's become quite the asshole because he was quite the asshole with the the Daniel stuff. Arguably correctly. You know, or at least to a point. Yeah, he had that brief moment where he wasn't an asshole about it, where he was nice to Amy until he realized that Max was the one who drugged her. And then he turned into an asshole again. I expected to be an asshole, but a misogynist? 
in that house with Shona and Gail. Yeah. And occasionally Audrey. Sometimes Sarah. And then... uh, The dog? No, the dog's a boy. His name is David. (laughs) No, the wee one, the, the, the little girl who we never see anymore. Lily. Lily. That's right. I wanted to say Ruby, but I knew that was wrong. Because Ruby... Choking Lily. That was the last we saw her, I think. Yes, a long time ago. Mm. They're always going to pick her up, though. Bertie's three now. Who's three? Bertie. Yes. That's not, He's getting old quick. He should be talking by now, and he <laughs> never does. He's right. always sleeping. Right. Or with Ken, who he thinks is his dad now. So we've got a couple of bits going on here. We've got the... The relationship with uh, Sonia that I presume is going to cause some friction between her ex, who is massive, and then and we've jealous. got jealous, and then we've got something going on between David and Maria, where he thinks she's David too high is, on her horse because she's a council person now. Like David isn't isn't feeling that his uh, worth has been appreciated. Yeah, he works for her. He needs to remember that. What a dick! I, yeah, because I've got a memory of Maria hiring him back. Yes. Yes. So he, wait, is, is, is he talking about Kelly? That he hired Kelly? Because he didn't hire Kelly either. Maria hired Kelly. That's true. Because it's Maria's barbershop. <laughs> what the hell is going, does, does nobody remember anything when they're writing the show? Who owns the salon? Salon's shut. Somebody owns it though. Yeah. Uh, Claudia. Nope. I'm going to say who owns it. That's going to surprise you. Is it Debbie? It is Debbie. It's Debbie, yeah. Because she was hiring, she was allowing Alina to use it to do nails Correct. occasionally. Now, where do all the women get their hair cut now? There's just a barbershop. There's no hair salon. They go around the corner where there's probably tons of them. <laughs> it's like our town that has like eight of them. Oh, every town's got hundreds of hairdressers, haven't they? <laughs> oh, right, next up. Is Dwight Eisenhower. Oh, God. This was another weird one, wasn't it? It, it was. And there's, again, there's, there's a lot going on in this one. There's right. And then there's this kind of branch of off st- right. the, the Brian and Kathy thing. Yeah, I've thrown all that together because I, I know that you complain when I separate these things out. I do. So on Monday, outside the cabin, Kathy is thinking of some ideas to zhuzh up the place rather than moving to Cornwall, which was a minor storyline from months ago. Yes, she wants to put seating outside. Yeah. She reckons it needs something to put a spark back into their lives. Meanwhile, Sinkhole Lee was looking for work, but there's nothing out there, and he's in no mood to let Jenny give him a rent amnesty. And through the back room, Daisy... I think she was going to give him a job there, and he wouldn't let her finish her sentence. Oh, was that what it was? I, well, we never know. But that's kind of what I was assuming, because when he was like indicating that she was going to say something about rent, she kind of went, well, actually, I... Oh. And he, he still kept... Refusing to allow her to speak. Yeah, he's an asshole as well. Through the back room, Daisy spots Leo's home brew in a barrel. It's called Dwight Eisensauer. Leo's managed to secure an interview for tomorrow, which coincidentally, his beer will be ready for consumption. Is that... Now, I'm thinking... Is that, that the proper container to, to brew beer A big beer plastic in? barrel? A big plastic? Because plastic... Plastic can affect things and break things down and stuff. That's why... You know, in like a like for forensics and stuff, they may put 
evidence in a plastic bag on the scene. But then immediately once they get to the police station, they put it in a cardboard box because plastic you can can't make beer in a cardboard box. <laughs> this is true. Right but but I don't think the, I have friends who make beer and when I've they, seen these plastic bottles before. And when I when I see them with their beer, they're in like they're not in plastic. Well, maybe that's why it turns out shit. Maybe. So he's managed to secure an interview for tomorrow. Coincidentally, his beer will be ready for consumption. Now we have a home brew story. And when we have home brew stories, tradition dictates that there has to be an explosion of some sort. One would hope. When somebody goes down to the cellar, there's a big explosion. And when they come back up the stairs again, their shirt is torn up to the elbows and they've got a black face. Now, obviously, you well, can't, obviously, obviously they, they can't do that anymore. No. So maybe that's why there is no explosion this time. Well. Yeah, and also I think that's the other thing about the the plastic is because you're you're allowing too much sunlight and other things. It to was affect. in the cellar. They've just brought it up, right? But they've brought it up, and they probably fucked it up by bringing it up too fast. Because they brought it up because it's ready for consumption tomorrow, right? So wait till tomorrow to bring it up, Later. Jenny. But then Daisy won't see it and make crass comments about it. Later, Jenny's making something crafty at the bar when Sinkhole Leo comes in and she quickly covers it up. He says he's popping out. So he puts his penis and back like in his that. trousers and then goes outside. <laughs> Later, I forgot that I wrote that. That made me chuckle. <clears throat> Later, Brian is having dinner on his own while Jenny argues with Newton and Ridley on the phone about a milk stout guest ale. Brian comes across as a bit of an aficionado, so Jenny ropes him into her plan. And later, Jenny and Brian reveal to Cinco Leo that his homebrew will be on tap tomorrow as a surprise. Leo is so made up at this, his penis falls out of his trousers again. Yes, and the thing that Jenny has made for this for this beer, named after a famously bald president who didn't wear hats very often. She's thinking of Roosevelt. That's <laughs> Roosevelt's hat. Well, she's not thinking of it. The set designers are thinking of Roosevelt, of Theodore Teddy. Roosevelt. Yeah. Yes, not not Franklin D. But still, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, if you were going to put a hat on something named after Eisenhower, wouldn't it be like, he was a famous general, so put like a military cap on him or something. Not a brown cowboy hat that actually kind of looks like maybe a sombrero. I thought it looked like a pith helmet. That's what it looked like to me. It had the little indent, didn't Did it? it? Oh, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, it did not look like something named after Eisenhower. On is, Wednesday. Is my complaint as an American. Noted. Kathy <laughs> and Brian are chatting about lasagna outside the cabin. Brian has plans for tonight and tells her that he's taking her out for date night. And she's very excited Right, about yeah. He's like, oh, why would I make food for you when we're going to go on a date night? A date night. That ends up not having anything to do with food, but that's all right. Daisy decides to try Leo's homebrew before hooking it up to the pumps, and she and Jenny are in 100% agreement. It's in it, a teapot. It tastes like ass. Leo comes in briefly excited about his upcoming interview. It's Leo's intention to take some of his beer along to the interview to let the interviewers try it. So Jenny and Daisy have to look at him like he's a buffoon because and explain he is. why that isn't a good idea. And it's really not. Even, even, if, it was good. even if it tasted good, it right. would be a bad idea. In the Rovers, we learn that Brian's idea of a night out with Kathy is a night in in the Rovers testing Leo's beer. Right, and not having any food at all. 
It turns out that it's illegal to sell homebrew in a pub like that, so it's all on the down low now, apparently. It's good that Corey has such forensic attention to detail. Meanwhile, Leo's interview has gone well, not that anyone gives a fuck. No. Later, Brian comes in with Cathy, who is visibly pissed off when she learns that this is their date, and not just pre-date drinks. Daisy pours the pints, which impresses Brian very much. Leo wasn't expecting that taste either, but is pleasantly surprised, and Brian thinks it's good enough for Leo to pursue brewing professionally. But it's actually Newton and Ridley's because Daisy's swapped the pipes over. Did right. you swap the pipes, says Jenny? Of course I did. Yes. Now Leo is thinking he's going to knock back the job offer and make beer full time. So Jenny needs to have a word. So Cathy has <laughs> gone home and changed back into her regular clothes when Leo comes in through the, from the back after speaking with Jenny and he tries his own beer, storms off in a huff and he seems to be blaming Jenny for this a little bit. He seems angry and he seems angry with Jenny. Well, he's angry with her for lying to him. And I think he's angry that his beer tastes like shit. It, he can't blame her for that, <laughs> though. So. Except, of course, that she brought the plastic tub up. Oh, to- let it go. <laughs> On Friday, Brian is polishing his head, checking Cornwall temperatures. Cathy still pissed about yesterday and wishes that he'd drop it. He heads out in a mood to get his eyebrows hacked. At the Rovers, Cathy is complaining to Evelyn and Rita about Brian not giving up about Cornwall. Cathy needs something new around here to spice things up, though, and they all become interested in Daisy's new cocktail class. Right, which after, she points out to them. But then tries to talk them out of it because right. they're old. Yeah, it's like she wanted Cathy to go, but not Rita and Evelyn. Right. It's money, Daisy. It doesn't matter. It's how money. She's there, right? So Cathy gets back to the cabin, doesn't mention his trimmed eyebrows, and has agreed to think again about Cornwall. Brian rushes off for a meeting and leaves his man bag, which allows her to dig around in it and find a letter that she Uh reads and then looks a little distressed about. Yes. That's as far as we get with that. I wonder what's in the letter. Has he bought this place in Cornwall? Has he made an offer on this place in Cornwall? Well, that would be all right because she's agreed to think about it again. Right, to think about it. But if he's already gone, if he's already gone and done it behind her back before she even said. Now, Brian is impetuous. Yes. But she knew that about him. Right. And also, this is a the <laughs> Cornwall conversation started, what, six months ago? I thought it ended six months ago. <laughs> this is still a thing. Is, does this mean that Brian is leaving the show as well? I don't know. We've kind of spoiled this already for, for folk that it looks like Kathy's leaving. Right. But I don't is know. Is she taking Brian with her? I wasn't under the impression that that brian was going to right yeah i feel terrible talking about this which is weird because you would think that they would something really bad has to happen to break them up i i'm amazed that they're still together right that's why i say something really bad has to happen to break them up i I don't think they should have lasted this long because brian well who else is brian gonna date mary that actually might work he's too he's too pompous and he's too buffoonish. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of the... Is it Ken that he needs to be with? Maybe. I'm surprised that they aren't more friends. The two of them. Ken and, and Brian. Because they are basically the same person. Only one has a bigger head. Right. No prizes for guessing which one. <laughs> it's Ken. Because <laughs> he's, bi- he's the bigger egotist. Oh, and the classic Corey today... Ken said, what? Do you know what I learned today? (laughs) What did you learn today? I learned today that at one point, John Lennon played 
was was at the Geneva Studios for to record like a, a video of one of the Beatles songs. And he used the harmonium from Coronation Street. Oh, did they really? In that video. Wow. What's the harmonium? It's it's the cube it's kind of like it's kind of like a piano, only like a smaller piano with a more tangy, tinkly sound. That lady from old Coronation Street who had the thing on her head had oh, one. Lady and from Coronation Street had the thing. The on one her who head. had like the stocking on her head the and looked stocking, grumpy all the time. The stocking on her head. And looked grumpy like she all was the a time. Bank robber? Are you talking about Ina Sharples? Maybe. Or are you talking about... Like, really old Corey. Bridget Humphrey. The, the show had only been on for, like, five years at the time. That could that, be. That this happened. You know, the stout woman who looks grumpy all the time and is wearing a penny and the thing on her a head. A penny? A Hilda? A pinafore, you know? Not Hilda. She wasn't stout. No. And looked grumpy all the time. She's in the very first episode. Uh, this 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 live version of Guess Who. <laughs> I, I don't imagine. Anyway, this. it's always fascinating when like a bit of Coronation Street trivia pops up in like a documentary that I'm watching right. about something else completely different. Talking of something else completely different, our next storyline is Milky Caramel. On Friday, Nina <laughs> rolls. Phil and Fizz are talking marriage arrangements and house renovations. Fizz is worried about a crack in the bedroom ceiling and Bernie thinks this is how sinkholes start, which gets Fizz even more frantic. So Phil is ordered to go off and check it out and while he's on his way, post these wedding invites while you're at it. Right. On the way there, Phil. Not not take them with you into the house and leave them somewhere in the house. So presumably Phil's been using his Find My Friends again because he manages to track Fizz down to the cabin. But when Phil comes into the cabin, he's covered in spunk. <laughs> he's been Him wa- and Tyrone have been wrestling again. He's been wanking off horses again. And also the crack in the ceiling is significant and he's made a big hole. Happy pride. He reckons, <laughs> he reckons he can fix it. But the house is a mess and all the invites have also been covered in horse spunk. At the factory, Fizz hands out all her spunky invites. And I think that's the last time I say spunk. Sean is quite excited about this. This is the next line. Well done. Actually, the next line is Beth and Sean are still impressed by this. Especially Sean. <laughs> Beth says it's Happy a nice. Pride. Beth says it's a nice color. <laughs> the taste leaves a bit to be desired, but Fizz is looking for a place to stay to sort out the wedding stuff in peace and away from the building site. But Sean and Beth suddenly develop coughs and claim to be very busy with work. Right. And and Peanut is very territorial about her room, apparently. Right. Evelyn brings Fizz back. Imagine having space in your house that the room belongs to an animal that isn't Sean. <laughs> Evelyn brings Fizz back to Tyrone's and gets the posh biscuits out. Evelyn is clearly pished here. Everyone is brought up to speed with the situation at the fancy house, so Tyrone tells her that she can stay with him. Even Phil can stay if he wants. Fizz says it's fine. She'll find something. And Evelyn looks furious at the pair of them and demands the posh biscuits. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that. Because she's pished. I like that one because uh, they said milky caramel quite a lot. <laughs> yes, because was quite apparently funny. there was a can of milky caramel up there in the rafters. For some reason. Yeah, when, there was, when he was fixing the crack in the ceiling, it, it created a hole. The paint fell down, covered him and it invites. She was in buying glue. Yeah. To make invites. Right. Is this like five-year-old craft invites that she's putting some glitter on or something? No, because like there's... 
there was like some framing going on where there was like a bigger piece and then a different color oh, I don't piece. Really care. And fine. so <laughs> clearly I was the one who made <laughs> all of the crafty stuff for our wedding. Yeah. <laughs> like, remember those flags that I made with like yeah. lines from our poetry about so, one another? So. And I made that globe. Fizz and Tyrone. Yes. Again? Getting no, back together again? Please don't. Please don't. Because I, I like Phil. I like Phil as well. And I think they had a chance to get rid of Phil. And they didn't. Right. They've had a couple of chances to get <laughs> so, rid of Phil. So this feels and like they it's going to stick. But Tyrone's still... And we really like the fact that Phil and Tyrone have this great relationship too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should be together. They should. But there was something in Evelyn's face though when the two of them were talking and Fizz says it's fine and Tyrone says it's fine the offer still stands and I don't know if Evelyn was just pissed off that she was still waiting on her biscuits or if she was annoyed it seemed that the like two of them she weren't trying, saying the things that they're supposed to be saying to each other it seemed like she was trying to manufacture something yeah, that's there what I but which because she was drunk more than anything because when she's not drunk, she's telling Tyrone not to mess this up for Fizz. So it's right. sober Evelyn would never do this. It's just because, you know, they got Daisy ashamed for not saying old. Yeah. So she was giving them free booze. I have a feeling that the Fizz and Tyrone thing is going to raise its, raise its head at least one more time God, before it gets not. settled. Our final storyline this morning today Saving is Imran's baby. Potato chips. Imran's dead, baby. On Monday. In, Imran's dead, comma, baby. Yeah. Imran's baby is not dead. No, not yet. <laughs> On Monday, at home, Toya is still coming to terms with the events of last week with Leanne when uh, Syra. Is it Syra? Is that how you say it? I don't know. It's I think a... it's Syra. When Syra buzzes a flat and Toya quickly reveals that she hasn't told her yet. So Syra oh. comes up, learns that Toya was in the crash too, and that Alfie is her grandson, although Toya lets her know that. Toya lets her think that, that it's her baby. Right. Sarah apologises for her, her appalling behaviour in the past, but she's ready to take over Imran's funeral, thanks. Despite Imran not being a practising Muslim, Toya is happy to let this happen. In the roles, Sarah and Adam meet up with Toya and Leanne. Toya asks Adam to phone around Imran's clients about his upcoming funeral, and then Adam remembers Imran's views on Islam from Rana's funeral, but Toya snaps that the man is dead and he needs to be buried, and she can't be bothered doing that herself. Right, yeah. Adam seems to have had a shave as well as Charlie. Adam's well, clean shaven, sort of. At, at points. <laughs> this week it seems I was shaven. really confused by Adam's face. I kept looking at it saying there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. Next we see Sarah. She's on the street shouting at Zidane because it seems that everything, Emran's death, Rana's death, any number of situations in the Middle East. Climate change. They're all Zidane's fault. Homophobia. Gary pops out of nowhere because someone's mentioned Rana. As Toya tries to calm the situation, Abby spots a chance to troll everyone by going to take Alfie away from all this feuding and the fussing. And when Syrah wonders, just who the fuck is this character? She introduces herself as Alfie's mum. Yes. Oh yeah, about that, says Toya. So Abby claims to be sorry for everyone's loss, but then gleefully announces that she's been in contact with the social, so don't go buying any more of those non-disposable nappies from that wee artisan shop just yet. Syrah must be brought up to speed to some extent and Leanne helpfully points out that Imran wouldn't want a religious funeral. 
Sarah asks Toya if she still loved Imran despite everything and Toya says that she does. In that case, you can arrange the funeral. So later Toya is able to tell Adam about the snafu regarding Imran's funeral arrangements. I'm sensing another Robert situation here. When the <laughs> cops arrive and DS Blonde arrests Toya for causing death by dangerous driving, they have new dum, dum, dum. information, probably from Kelly. Dum, dum, dum. Back at the flat, Leanne is looking after Alfie when the social drop in to confiscate Alfie because she's not a parent and they have to take him away to some other people who also aren't his parents. Leanne refuses to comply until the social worker threatens the cops. And there's this thing where it's like that Toya doesn't have parental responsibility either. When a court has already given Toya parental responsibility over this child and custody over this child. Well, to Imran. And Toya. I don't know if Toya's name would be mentioned in that. The judge said Imran and Toya get the baby. Both of them. Together, and it was in part because Imran's the dad, but it it he the, just the court, in part or not wholly. It's clearly you know if if I died, social services wouldn't be on the doorstep to take the kids away from you. No, but they're not babies. That's true. They they they're older, so they're more mature and capable of dealing with but the trauma babies, of being then, then maybe they'd go straight back to your ex-husband maybe i think definitely <laughs> i think that would be the right thing to happen maybe i have <laughs> to think about <laughs> helen that. really means definitely but she doesn't <laughs> want to say so so still the fact that the that social services are so on the board here well that's thanks to abby isn't it I don't think so. I, I, because basically what they're saying is that Alfie can't be in Leanne's care for a couple of hours while Toya sorts this out at the police station. Well, and also that Toya can't have him either. But that means that Toya now can't not be in the presence of Alfie. She can't. She can't ask someone to babysit for half an hour before she goes to the shops no 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 the the social services is there to take the baby away from toya it's just coincidence that leanne is there this isn't because you know and this is the part that bothers me is because toya was also given parental responsibility oh i I thought they were there because she'd been arrested no, they, because remember, Toya was already, you know, when she was still oh, in the hospital, yeah. she said, Alfie's going to be taken away from me because Imran's dead. Got it. Yeah. At the cop shop, Adam tells Toya that there's CCTV footage of the crash that they want to show Toya. It's from Crash Bang Wallop. What a video. <laughs> so they watch the video and it becomes clear that Toya didn't turn or slam on the brakes or anything. She just looks like she deliberately drove into the wall. Right. Toya shocked and upset and Adam demands a break. A different kind of break, mind you. After the break... A different kind of break, mind mm-hmm. you. DS Blondie wants to know what happened with the crash. Toy insists that she loved him ran and she doesn't remember what was going on in the car. So Well, there's a voiceover in her head saying, I, I hate, hate you, Imran. <laughs> I think she was trying to kill herself more than Imran. I think it was more murder suicide than uh, an attempted murder suicide than That's not a very good way to kill yourself though, in a in a murder. In a, and a slow accident and you know, a wall in a, in a car that has airbags. 
well, think you're designed. I'm not saying it's, I think you're designed to survive that, aren't you? It, it doesn't. It, well, they were, she was driving fast for the area. I think. Yeah, she like thirty-five miles an hour, maybe. Right, and if Imran hadn't woken up, they would have both been dead. See, I think he caused that by opening the door. If he'd just left, I think that would No, because things were already falling. Yeah, not very much. Anyway, Toya <laughs> gets out and meets up with Leanne and Nick at the bistro, and she quickly assures, uh, assumes that the social have taken Alfie away to live with strangers. Toya has been charged, which royally fucks up her chances to adopt Elsie. Adam promises to speak with Elliot to see what can be done. Toya just wants to disappear to Cousin Kirsty's. Nick and Leanne think this is a dreadful idea. It'll give the cops an entire street the wrong message. At the law office, Adam sacks Ben over the phone, nice one, and explains the events of the day to Sarah. He's having trouble coming to terms with Imran's death, and apparently he had a meeting to change Imran's will. Sarah is sure that it's Alfie related, but Adam thinks the timing is weird. But Toya has ignored the advice from Nick and Leanne and leaves the street in the back of her How is the black timing taxi. weird? I know. Because Imran wouldn't have known that he was going to die in a car crash. But is it weird that you're going to <coughs> change your well like the day before you actually die he couldn't have known he was gonna die the next day he just had a baby all know, of like, these people telling adam that this isn't weird this sounds like every episode of colombo <coughs> cousin kirsty anyway anyway cousin kirsty alan so toya has Allie. ignored the advice of nick and leanne and leaves the street in the back of a in the back of a black taxi cousin kirsty's please cabby nay bother hen says inexplicably scottish driver and he takes her straight to Cheers. On Wednesday. <laughs> no. Drives that black taxi all the way across the Atlantic Ocean no. and into Boston Harbour. No. On Wednesday, Leanne and Nick are worried because Toya never made it to Cousin Kirsty's. Leanne ends up having a set to with Bernie about a sympath- sympathetic lasagna for Toya and then Adam's curiosity is aroused <coughs> when Leanne tells her Toya's done the bunk. This is all very suspicious. Adam goes to speak with Peter over a speed dial breakfast. Adam's still worried about Imran's will. Peter does think that Toya's a bit weird with babies, but she's well, not. Yes. A, but she's not a drive into a wall person, except that she did, says Adam, and he questions whether Toya did it deliberately. And this is overheard by Zidane, who immediately gets on the phone to Alia about it. Mm-hmm. So Alia comes round and Zidane brings her up to speed. Alia just can't believe that Toya would do this deliberately. Zidane seems keen to prove that it was, so that Syrah will stop blaming him. <laughs> Zidane is a gossipy wee shite He is a gossipy wee shite And also how would this stop Syrah from blaming him When Toya being baby crazy Didn't cause Rana to move into right. The Coronation Street family So Alia goes into the bistro to look for Toya And check with Leanne Alia wants to hear her side of the story for some reason She tells Leanne about Zidane overhearing Adam talking And Leanne has had enough and throws Alia out Leanne goes to shout at Adam for a bit about gossiping to Zidane. Adam says he's just establishing facts, but Leanne doesn't think that's his job, and Toy doesn't need people talking about her behind her back. Yeah, she calls him PC... PC Plod. Plod. Adam says Peter agrees that Toya got a bit baby crazy every now and again, so Leanne storms off to shout at Peter for a bit. <laughs> yes. And Peter denies playing games, but explains about Adam having a beanie's bond about Imran's changed will. He's not their enemy, although maybe he did mention the crazy baby stuff. Right, yeah. And he's also he also establishes that Leanne didn't know anything about the will. Right. Peter still has lingering resentment about the Susie thing. Toya lied to them both back then. It makes sense that Toya was in a state after the Alfie and the Abby thing. It was a powder keg, says Peter. Maybe she didn't crash deliberately, but maybe she shouldn't have been driving in the first place. Yeah. 
Back at the bistro, Nick thinks if Adam phones Toya, she would answer what with him being her solicitor, but Leanne doesn't even know if Adam is representing her, but doesn't tell Nick the extent of who she's been shouting at today. <laughs> Until closing time, when she finally explains that what with everything going on with Alfie and Abby and Imran and Elsie, she's starting to have her doubts about Toya as well, especially with this historic baby craziness. How can Leanne help if she doesn't know where Toya is? And then we see that Toya is pulling a page from Leanne's playbook right. following a traumatic event and is hiding in secret at her own place. Right. Sisters. Well, she said it, and she says on Friday, right. look, it was a good idea. Right, yes, yes. She's like, I took a cue out of Leanne's playbook. She says exactly what I said. That's exactly it. <laughs> so on Friday, Simon... <laughs> and then she says, my dogs are tired. So on Friday, Simon is still trying like a bear with Kelly and to get into her good pants. He reveals to her that Toya has disappeared and according to Leanne, she isn't even that cousin Kirsty. That's so difficult to say. And then George is very keen to get moving on the funeral so Leanne tells him in the absence of Toya just to use his best judgement, well that could mean anything. Right. Then Kelly appears, apologises to Leanne for being a total grass and asks if she can attend the funeral and she also asks for a key to the flat so she can steal a photo but Leanne tells her to fuck off. Well, she tells her that she doesn't have a key. At the law office, Kelly comes in to ask about a key for from uh, for Toya's flat from Adam, and Adam has a spare in Imran's desk. The two of them chat about Toya being AWOL, Kelly grasping up Toya's unknown whereabouts. And in the roles, Adam tells Sarah what he learned from Kelly, which has made him even more convinced that Toya deliberately killed Imran. Imran was going to stop Toya from going to the cops and Toya said that she'd kill Imran if she if he lied to her again. Right. So with the key from Imran, Kelly goes into Toya's flat and finds Toya. Right. And Toya's like, what are you doing here? Right. And Kelly says, what are you doing here? Toya explains that she and was they just... they all laugh. She was just copying Leanne from all of her stuff. Right. Kelly apologises for being a despicable grass and Toya tells her that she did the right thing. Kelly tells her to grow a nice set of hairy balls and show the street what she's made of. She has people on her side, like her, she says. So Toya goes to the bistro and apologises for disappearing like Leanne did that time Oliver died. <laughs> the funeral is still on for Monday though. And later, Kelly bumps into Adam on the street and wastes no time in telling him about Toya actually just been hiding in her house. So Leanne and Toya finally go back to her place. The Elsie adoption is definitely off. Toya apologises for hiding again, but she reckons that everyone thinks that she killed Inman deliberately. Meanwhile, Adam has gone to the police to tell DS Blondie about Toya threatening to kill Imran if she found out that he was lying to her. And even DS Blondie thinks that this is hyperbole. Right, but yeah. But as far as Adam's concerned, it's premeditation. She wanted him dead. And that is how we end this week's episodes. What is Adam doing here? Well, he shaved his beard, so all his power is gone. Oh, well, he's developed some, some alternate power, and it's the power of evil. Do you think... What do you think is going on in the car? Do you think that, well, you've kind of said that maybe. Yeah, I think it's a murder-suicide attempt. You know, that she's so angry and she's realizing that she's going to lose everything again. That she just, there's nothing left for me on this earth. Puts her foot on the gas and just plows in. So not really thinking, you know, that she could potentially survive it. A moment of madness. The red mist. Right. She yeah. doesn't, she's not in control of her actions. Right. So it's not really premeditated. No. Or is it? I don't think it is. I'm just glad that this firmly establishes that there wasn't another car, that Ben wasn't in another car oh God, plowing right. them into a. Because that was a ridiculous pe- theory. People saw a car that right, just that drove stopped. by slowly. 
that kind of stopped like it was going to turn in and then it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's because they see a car crashed and the cops. So, of course, they're not going to turn in. Right. Well, the cops aren't there. No, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, in that case, then she does deserve everything that's coming to her then, our Toya. Which makes me sad. Did you read that article saying what's happened to Coronation Street's women? How, you know, what happened to the strong women of Coronation Street? No, I don't think so. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not wrong. What was that? You, you know, ah, uh, God, I can't remember. I'll find it and I'll send it to you. But I mean, this was kind of my, this has been kind of my complaint about, about Abby. You know, it's like, she's, she's strong and she's everyone's hero until they need her to be a basket case again. Yep. And then she's a basket case for a while and then she's everyone's hero again. And also we have like the girls constantly going through these phases of everything getting dumped on them and them going hysterical and losing their mind and everything. See, I kind of worry that Abby, the Abby situation is kind of over for me. That I, I can't do this cycle again. Of it. I, I just don't like Abby anymore. Right. It It is kind of unfortunate that all of this happening has made it so Abby will eventually get Alfie and she's back together with Kev, you know, so she loses, she really loses nothing. Whereas, and Toya points this out this week, that really the situation was kind of ideal where Alfie has had three parents. Yep. Who loved him very much and they were working things out. Yeah, potentially going to get four parents if Kev was going to get back on board again. Right, yeah. And they were going to work things out. And now he's living with strangers. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that uh, Imran's mum didn't try. Yeah, that was an interesting little that, development, that, wasn't it? Because she came in and she was doing she was doing exactly the Rana thing again. She right. Was, my daughter needs to be buried and it needs to be a Muslim funeral. And right. despite the fact that Rana wasn't practicing and had no right. interest in it, this is what's going to happen. And she's kind of taken over and she started to do the same thing again right. here for the same reasons. Right. And getting knocked back for the same reasons again, but seemed to realize it and wind herself in and go and shout at Zidane for a while. Right. But, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's the same over there. I would assume it's the same over there. But when it comes to child services and stuff... They really want to keep children within the family. family. So if there's a living grandparent there with Imran's mom. Who didn't even know that the kid existed. Right. But still, Mm. but still, you'd think that they would call her at least or somebody would call her or Toya would say, hey, go get this baby. I think it was on the list of Toya's things to do. Right. But. Oh, we forgot to mention the fact that Gary tried to say something to Imran's mum about how sorry he was. Oh, he said he was sorry for her loss and she just ignored him and kept on walking. Right, because she doesn't know who he is. No idea. But that was then just a very quick... And then she's gone again on on Monday. And Yeah, she was in that storyline very, very briefly, whereas you would think she... Because she's going to be there on Monday. I'd, well, you'd hope so. I didn't know if the story needed her... And amongst it more than it needed Toya to do a runner. Because Toya doing a runner, as the show acknowledged, right. kind of been done. Although having Sarah there 
sticking her nose into people's business, although it's kind of actually her acting has very, been, has been very much well. not like herself because she she does very quickly well, back down, right. and she doesn't want to know anything about the complications of the relationship. Whereas Abby's the one who's had this baby, right? You know, but you'd think that she would want to spend time with her grandson now that she knows that he exists, especially since both of her children are dead. No, she just leaves and says, "Give me a call." Which is weird. Which is not what a grandmother, especially a grandmother Look, who has been so overbearing at times in the past, would be like. It, it would be, she would, you would think she would have the same reaction to Alfie that Abby does. I'm getting a second chance to have a better relationship with this child right. that I missed with my dead child. I can't believe we're complaining about this when we complain so many times when relatives don't turn up when someone dies here we've got her turning up when when imran dies but she's just but that's, there, see, that's my complaint for, for such a short my period of time and then disappeared again my complaint is she's not in it enough well so I was you know saying. it's like oh she you know oh good the show remembered that imran's mom still exists yep and then there's very little with her which is ridiculous i'd quite i'd really quite have liked uh ex-wife to show off as well yes because the mother and the ex-wife together Ooh. <laughs> oh, do you fireworks. Think, yeah i would wonder i wonder if she would blame her for imran's death the way that she's blaming zidane for rana's death what's he like by the way when he's we need to prove that it was toya so i'm off the hook it's what is that even what is that even what is that even? Right. At least Alia is sensible in saying, look, Imran was very good to my family. He took care of my, he kept my gran out of prison. That is a responsible way of saying, hey, we're concerned about this because blah. Instead of Zidane's, we need to fix this so that I don't look like a shithead. Yeah. You still look like a shithead, dude. So Alia goes to shout at the woman who very nearly became her stepmom. It's a small show. It's a very small show, and it's getting smaller all the time because they keep killing people off. Well, is this only the second dead character this year? Last year, we, we eight characters died, a couple off screen, but there was eight deaths. Because when I made the in memoriam, there was eight. At the moment, I think there's only two. Johnny and oh, Johnny and, was last year. Was Johnny last year? Mm -hmm. That happened last year. Yeah, so fresh in my memory. No, so we've had Imran, and we had. Uh, oh, Laura. Because <laughs> I forget. Laura, Laura the, chin. the Chin. That's right. And we thought we finally revealed that Rick the Chin was dead. So we had another, that funeral as well. I'm still mad that we have, we, we get to see Rick the Chin's funeral and not Laura the Chin's funeral. Yeah, Rick died in 2019. So that doesn't count. But we had Laura, Laura from her stomach cancer and then ran from a mystery cardiac arrest following a car crash and i don't think there's been any off-screen ones this year no oh no there was ted spear all right yes dead ted he died from a blood clot right so, that's, so, <laughs> yes. so there's been three deaths so far this year right poor old ted is dead we had a Ted's ted die baby. we had a ted die last year too gay that ted. was gay ted yeah. this was old ted just yes. dead ted there was this whole thing with Emma and Faith thinking that they they'd killed them, and then we forgot about it. <laughs> what do we like? Uh, all right. 
Italy. That was the week that was Coronation Street, and I'm tired. I need to go in my bed. So, what was your moment of the week? See, I didn't do my three favourite bits this week, so I'm a bit of a loss. Yeah, it wasn't as good as last week. It wasn't. And, and you know, it's fair. You know, the only thing that's popping up in my head is Max and that Wonder Woman apron. No, and that can't be it. No, I no. did love that. That should be it. We should write, I don't know, Happy Pride on it. Because, you know, Wonder Woman is canonically bisexual. No, no thank you. <laughs> it was funny, though. And it was, it, we actually got to see some sweetness in Max. We don't get any sweetness in Max. You know, the whole cooking thing. Nah. Is it, is it Kelly talking toy around? That was kind of heartfelt. She gets that picture. Nah. I didn't really think that was, that was much, was it? No, not really. It, so I think it might have been Peter and Leanne their little conversation together because we never really see them having a chat together right that much. and and sh- and he diffused that rather quickly he was able to be you know he was able to diffuse it and then be honest with her and I thought that was rather nice yeah and he never got angry about it he was just no because she storms in where have you been hiding it's like, I'm, like I'm, I'm making Ken's dinner hanging out in my house right I live here yeah he he was he was calm and he was rational and he was right. saying he wasn't he was trying saying, to punch her in the face he was saying truths without trying to score any points or anything right yeah and and he had very mature of him he admitted that he's still a little bent out of shape about the whole Susie thing which yeah. he's fair. entitled to do that is totally fair yeah that's it yeah that's it excellent oh god Whew. that was tough Peter's a little heart to heart with Leanne is our moment of the week Boring moment of the week. Brian checking the temperature in Cornwall. Is our boring moment of the week. Yeah. That was so much easier. Funny that. <laughs> All right, then. Well, you've got camping to go to and I've got sleeping to go to. So let's wrap this one up then. Well, I'm going in the morning. I'm going right now. Oh, obviously. Sh- sure. So next week, we're going to be recording this a little bit early because you're heading off back east. Yes, I'm driving to Connecticut, even though gas is over $5 a gallon. So we're going to be doing the podcast for Monday and Wednesday's episodes, and then we'll catch up again the following week, and then then we're off on vacation, and God knows what we're going to be doing. We will not be watching Coronation Street that week. Well, who knows? We'll be watching Coronation Street in the Grand Canyon. Right. We may do one of our little, uh, from a hotel. Right. But anyway, all that anyway. Still, all that's still to be figured out. Right. So if you want to drop us a line and tell us about other dead characters that we've forgotten <laughs> for this year, you can get us Or at, who you want to die next. Oh don't. It's a long list. <laughs> you can get us at the talk of the street at gmail.com. We're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to Kofi.com. That's K-O-F-I.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of Vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank and you. We will be back next week with more. The talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.